Inshaw to provide an update on COVID-19. Dr. Inshaw will have more details in a moment, but I'd like to talk about some broad trends that we are seeing. The data is for the period from Tuesday, April 12th to Monday, April 18th. The trends are similar to last week. The data so far is mixed. There are increases in virus circulation and hospital admissions, but they're smaller and moving more slowly than we saw in the initial Omicron wave. We are seeing some impact from the BA2 subvariant, but so far it's much less than we saw a few months ago with BA1. That's what we've been expecting based on experience in other jurisdictions such as BC and Ontario, and given our high vaccination rate and recent exposure to BA1. There are also some early signs that BA2 infections may be at a plateau. The average positivity rate of PCR tests completed over the past seven days was 25.9%, which is very similar to the previous week's average of 26.6%. And wastewater levels are high in many locations, but they mostly remain below the levels we've seen previously during BA1. In Edmonton, the level is near the BA1 peak, but in Calgary, it's rising more slowly, and in some locations, the levels are fluctuating or dropping. And more importantly, we're not seeing the same impact on hospital admissions that we've seen before. Hospitalizations due to COVID-19 ticked up this past week about 3% to 1,126. That follows a similar increase from the week before. However, we have fewer Albertans in ICU due to COVID this week, 43 compared to 46. It's also important to look at the total patient numbers in our hospitals because COVID is no longer driving excess admissions above normal levels the way it's done before. The total number of patients in our hospitals has been stable for the past couple of months. COVID admissions have increased, but the total hasn't. The total is within normal bed base overall and normal for this time of year. A couple of other key points. First, there were 167 patients in our adult general ICUs this morning compared to the normal pre-COVID base of 173 beds. The ICUs have been within their normal bed base on most days for several weeks now. They're still near, at nearly 100% and that's too high, but it's a big change from the numbers that we've seen before. And the system continues to complete near normal volumes of surgery. The waiting list continues to come down gradually it's currently about 7,200 compared to 76,600 at the beginning of March and 68,000 before the pandemic. That's good, but to be clear, we're going to bring it down a lot faster, and I'll be saying more about our plans to do that in the coming days. As I said last week, a few of the big hospitals in Edmonton and, and in Calgary are over 100% capacity, and that's a concern, obviously, but it's also in line with past years before covid and likewise, emergency departments and EMS are continuing to see very high volumes of patients, and that means delays and long wait lists for some patients. I sympathize with patients and families who are frustrated by these delays, and we're adding resources to try to keep up. But the reality is that the system is stretched at times, even in a normal winter, and there's a lot more pressure on the system right now than in a normal winter after two years of COVID-19. We need to recover from the pandemic, and we will, but we need to do more. We're building more capacity into the system so that it's not stretched so severely. Normal shouldn't mean stretching core units way over 100% a lot of the time every year 
and in a bad year canceling surgery, even with COVID-19. For now, COVID remains a real threat, but we've come a long way and we're going to keep moving forward. Just three months ago, we were living with restrictions on social interactions and capacity limits in public spaces. We're transitioning to living with COVID, not by denying it, but by relying on the proven protection of vaccines and also respecting people's freedom to judge their own risk and take appropriate precautions. There's no overstating the importance of vaccination. We've gotten where we are today because 90% of Albertans have gotten vaccinated and we need people to keep on getting every dose of vaccine they're eligible for. COVID has not gone away. The wastewater data shows there's still a lot of it around. And if you're not vaccinated, it remains a real risk. We're getting through the current surge without the kind of disruption we've seen before. And some people may be thinking, I'll wait and get that third dose if things get really bad again. Please don't wait. There's enough Omicron circulating right now to be a real risk. So if you're eligible for another dose, please get it now. A reminder that fourth doses are also available to all Albertans age 70 and older, First Nations, Inuit and Métis people age 65 and older, and all residents in seniors' congregate care facilities, provided that at least five months have passed since your third dose. So please book an appointment for a fourth dose if you or someone you care about is in one of these groups. The Alberta vaccine booking system is always open and available online, or you can call 811 or go see a pharmacy close to you. And a reminder that we have COVID-19 treatments available as well. Paxlovid is a pill-based treatment that can be taken at home, but early detection and treatment is key. It must be started within five days of the onset of symptoms with a positive COVID-19 test result and assessment from a healthcare professional. We currently have a supply of about 16,000 courses of treatment on hand with about 10,000 more expected to arrive in the coming days. As of April 18th, approximately 1,000 Paxlovid prescriptions have been dispensed up from about 720 last week. All pharmacies in Alberta can now dispense Paxlovid if they choose to do so. We need to sure, make sure that this treatment is used in accordance with the evidence and expert guidance. And people who may be eligible should call 811. If you receive a prescription for Paxlovid, please check the Alberta Blue Cross website to see which pharmacies in your area are dispensing it and work with your prescriber to have your prescription sent there. The online list is updated on a regular basis, so please check for any updates. Some pharmacies have had trouble accessing enough supply early on, but we've now enabled them to place larger orders with our central distributors to meet the growing demand. For more information, again, please visit the AHS website. We're still using a centralized system for accessing Paxlovid that's similar to most other provinces, including BC and Ontario. We continue to monitor experience in other jurisdictions. The access process was set up initially to manage a very limited supply. Like other provinces, we've just recently had a big increase. So going forward, if we can plan on a consistently higher supply, then we may be looking at increasing access as well as making changes to make the process easier. Now we've come a long way and we're going to keep moving forward thanks to the hard work of our healthcare professionals and the willingness of millions of Albertans to roll up their sleeves and get vaccinated. So thanks again to all of our healthcare professionals continue to work day in and day out and have done for the last two years and are doing, so, doing right now, uh, particularly in Edmonton and Calgary, uh, managing higher volumes. And with that, I'll now Dr. Hin invite Dr. Hinshaw to the podium. 
Thank you, Minister, and good afternoon, everyone. As the Minister mentioned, the numbers we were sharing are from the reporting period Tuesday, April 12th to Monday, April 18th. In those seven days, our PCR test positivity ranged from 20.8% to 30.2%. As the Minister mentioned, there are currently 1,126 people with COVID-19 in hospital, including 43 in the ICU. Sadly, between April 12th and April 18th, an average of seven deaths per day related to COVID-19 were reported to Alberta Health. These losses and others that have happened due to any cause leave holes in our families, friend circles, and communities. And my sympathies are with anyone who has lost a loved one. As transmission continues with BA2, we have seen more breakthrough infections in those with a full vaccine series. Given that, I know there are questions about the importance of vaccines right now, and I want to remind Albertans of what the data shows us. When we look at the difference in the risk of severe outcomes by vaccination status, it is very clear that vaccines are critically important in lowering the risk for hospitalizations and deaths. If we look at everyone in Alberta age five and up, in the last four months, those who were not vaccinated were more than three times more likely to be hospitalized with COVID-19 and almost eight times more likely to be admitted to ICU than those who had three doses of vaccine. For those age 80 and older, in whom the risk of severe outcomes is highest, those who were not vaccinated were more than four times more likely to be hospitalized with COVID in the last four months and almost six times more likely to die from COVID than those who had three doses of vaccine. It has always been true that most people who get COVID do not need hospital care, and especially with high two-dose coverage, at this point, the initial infection will be mild for most people. Some individuals may not even notice their symptoms until a couple of days have passed owing to spring and allergy season. Many may be tempted to shrug off these mild symptoms and continue to go about their daily business, to work, to run errands, to take part in regular activities. However, it's important to remember that doing this can have serious consequences for others around you. The rules for isolation in our province remain the same. If you test positive or have symptoms of COVID-19, you are required to isolate at home and away from others. For those who have two or more doses of vaccine, this is for a minimum of five days or until symptoms resolve, whichever is longer. For those with one or no doses of vaccine, the requirement is for 10 days, or until symptoms resolve. If you feel sick, even if you test negative, please stay home and away from others until you are feeling better. This means not going to work, school, or any other activities outside the home. In addition to staying home when sick, it's also important to remember that there are still precautions in place in settings where those with high risk factors are present. Masking is required in continuing care and acute care, as well as on public transit. If you visit your doctor's office or another healthcare service, be prepared to wear a mask to protect those around you and make healthcare settings safe spaces for everyone. This transition period is allowing space for all of us to adjust, both back to a somewhat more normal life and also adapting to the new considerations that each one of us must take into account. 
Each person's balance of risks and benefits is different, and the many decisions each of us have to make every day are also informed by what the transmission risk is in our communities. It can be helpful to check the weekly data updates looking at wastewater trends and geographic distribution of cases to get information on what your local exposure risk is like. You can also consider how many people you will be around and what their exposure risks might be as a guide to the kinds of precautions you might take, such as masking or distancing. It's also important to remember that all of us face many risks every day, and COVID is one risk among these many. We have focused on it primarily for a long time, and yet now our context is different. It's important to remember this also as we try to balance the competing considerations in our lives. Please be patient with others and with yourself as we all navigate through this time and continue to do what we can to keep all of us safe and healthy. Thank you and we're happy to take questions. Thanks Dr. Hinshaw and Minister Copping. Um, no one here in the room with us so we'll go to the phone and I think we'll have time for three callers so we'll take the first right now please. question is for the health minister. Um, for the, basically the last month, uh, we've noticed reports online of Alberta doctors, mostly ER doctors, kind of taking turns painting ugly pictures of emergency rooms in the province. I know you've acknowledged the situation yourself at that podium. Uh, last week, there was a code orange situation uh, at the University of Alberta Hospital, one patient waiting uh, upwards of 20 hours. AHS says the current situation is being made worse by a significant number of high-acuity patients, including COVID patients. And then another local doctor reported about a rough night at um, RAH last night. So I'm just wondering, why do you think the current situation in ERs is worse than usual? Well, part well, thanks for the question. And, and you know, I have, we've spoken with a, a number of doctors as well. Um, we have certain areas uh, of the province and in certain hospitals, so like the U of A, um, we have higher than normal, uh, 100%, over 100% capacity in terms of, uh, in, ter in terms of the emergency rooms. Uh, so we're, we're conscious of that. Uh, we know that as overall as a system, uh, we're not at that level. So it depends on the, on the, uh, on the location. You know, some of that's being driven by, uh, by COVID, uh, and some of that's driven by the the care deficit um, that we've had. Uh, you know, so, so we've had individuals who have, um, over the course of COVID, not seen their family physicians uh, as frequently as they, they may have normally would, uh, given concerns with COVID. Uh, therefore, the the acuity of the illness that um, that they're they're facing uh, has gone up, and then now they're coming into the emergency departments. So one of the things that we are doing with with our budget is working to expand capacity uh, within our hospital systems overall. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, we've done that with the with the ICU, 100 million dollars in specific to that, and we've also asked that you know if if we don't need that those those dollars for the ICU, uh, ICU to be able to use the resources uh, elsewhere and build capacity within the system. So we're recognizing that, that this is an issue. Um, we'll work through it as we we learn. We learn to live with COVID and, and through uh, what the, the, the current uh, BA2 wave, uh, and then continue to build capacity so that you know we can quite frankly normalize. Um, and, and, and not saying it's ever going to be normal, but we shouldn't have to be over 100% on regular times of year. And, and, and the only other context I would provide is that you know we are dealing with COVID right now, but but also we you know uh, flu seasons uh, we've had to deal with this in, in the past, not not as uh, severe uh, and not the high not as high as levels, uh, but we need to actually invest into our healthcare system, which we are doing so that, you know, we don't have people doing a high dive to, 
provide services all the time, uh, but this takes time. Uh, so we have budgeted for this year and the, and the next uh, the next few years to be able to do that uh, as we recruit and train more staff. Thanks, Minister. Dan, do you have how a follow-up? Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, how much do you feel, you know, community supports outside the hospital should be part of that expansion that you're that you're talking about? So when we talk about expansion, it's it's not only within the hospitals per se. So it's not only acute care. Um, it is also, you know, we've ad additional uh, funding has been uh, allocated to EMS, uh, but also we've additional funding, you know, uh, into uh, home care, uh, community care, uh, and uh, and continuing care because, as you know. Um, there is a, a, a pipeline for some individuals who are going to acute care and then move into uh, uh, moving to continuing care, uh, and we need to be able to have the spaces available. So we're investing in all aspects of our healthcare system. Uh, so you know that plays in a very very important part, as as does uh, you know primary care. You know to the extent that we can we can increase our ability to provide primary care, um, then we can address the acuity issues, and we have the the percentage of the people who are who are more acute, uh, you know, have uh, higher levels of acuity, and then now present themselves to the emergency department will go down, but that's going to take some time, and quite frankly, we're going to have to work through the backlog uh, that COVID has, has presented for us. Thanks, Minister. Uh, we'll move to the next caller, please. Allison McKinnon, CTV. Hi there. When talking about uh, third doses, Alberta is actually ranked last in all of Canada at 46%. Wondering if the province has any plans to kind of do a big push to get people that third dose, like they did uh, when we were talking about getting ready for the stampede. So the short answer is yes. Uh, we are working on a uh, on a campaign to increase our our third doses. Um, you know, one of the things, and and, and we and Dr. Hinchel might be able to comment on this uh, uh, more. But one of the issues that we're also dealing with is that. Uh, lots. There's a, a large proportion of the population who uh, who got BA1, um, and uh, and then you know the advice from uh, the National Advisory Committee is that you you know sort of wait 90 days until then you get your another shot. Well, we're almost at that point now, um, so you'll you'll be seeing in the coming weeks a, a campaign to ask people to get their shots and on uh, their their third dose because it's going to be important to protect against severe outcomes. Um, I made my comments today, and I know Dr. Hinshaw also made her comments today in terms of doing that, and you'll see a, a broader campaign coming in a couple of weeks. And Dr. Dr. Hinshaw, if you want to comment any further on that. I would just, again, emphasize the importance of that third dose, as well as the impact. You know, certainly, there's been some work done with focus groups to understand what people are, are thinking about third doses, and that's something that we've certainly heard is people who did have an infection in the fifth wave um, who are waiting for that three-month time period. So um, that's one factor, and again, just would emphasize how much of a difference that third dose makes and how important it is for anyone who's 18 or older to access the protection that that, uh, that third dose provides. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, Follow-up, Allison. Yes, um, with having to wait those three months or 90 days, um, is there a risk of these shots expiring and when will we see all Albertans eligible for that fourth dose? My understanding of the expiry dates is that the product we have is not uh, due to expire in the in the short term. That's something that we could certainly follow up on and, and um, get that information, but I don't believe that that's a risk in the near term. With respect to the fourth dose, it's important to remember that vaccines, just like antibiotics or any other 
uh, therapy that's used are important to use in the right population at the right time to get the maximum benefit. And so we are working with the, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization and our own Alberta Advisory Committee to understand what populations benefit the most from additional doses. And at this point in time, again, the, the protection from severe outcomes that three doses offers is important for those who are 18 to 69, those who are 70 and up, that fourth dose provides a benefit. Um, but it's really important that we are using vaccines, again, like any other medication, in the way that, that provides the most benefit to the people who receive them. And so the question of, of when um, additional populations may be eligible, uh, again, that's something that we're constantly looking at the evidence and reviewing what is coming forward, um, and that recommendations are made based on best available evidence at that time. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, we were hoping to wrap up by four, so we'll take one last call, please. Emily Mertz, Global News. Thanks for taking my question. This is for Dr. Hinshaw. I'm just wondering what Alberta is seeing in terms of reinfection or breakthrough infections. How often are people um, catching the virus a second or third time? And is it usually with a different variant? We uh, don't have, of course, specific information because we know that many people at this point in time are testing with rapid tests. So we wouldn't know about those individuals in the data that we're collecting. So the PCR testing that we're doing right now is really focused on those who are individually at high risk or those who work in high risk settings. Uh, so we would only be capturing a, a subset of those who might be having additional infections. Um, the the data that we have does indicate that there have been um, reinfections. Certainly, we, we saw with the initial Omicron wave in late uh, December and January that there was more breakthrough infection with that. I don't have current data with respect to breakthrough with respect to those who may have had a BA1 and now have BA2. Uh, but we do know that other jurisdictions have reported breakthrough infections, even in people who, again, had infection within the, the previous several months. So we know it's possible. The bottom line is that there's also influenza circulating as well as COVID. Um, there's multiple respiratory viruses. And so it's really important if someone is feeling sick that they stay home and away from others because whether it's COVID or whether it's influenza or something else, even if the individual who's feeling ill may not have risk factors, they could pass it on to someone for whom it could be very serious. So again, that's why I want to emphasize the importance of staying home when sick, no matter what the cause is. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, Emily, follow-up? Yeah, I'm just wondering, since so much of this information is um, sort of offline because people are doing the rapid testing, um, is there anything in the works or was there anything discussed about asking people to log their rapid test results or their experiences with long COVID, for instance, on a website or something like that, just so Alberta could have an understanding when we move from PCR to rapid test like other jurisdictions have done? When we did a scan across the country, it seemed that um, most of the colleague provinces who had a reporting system weren't using that as a part of their, their overall data system. Um, so typically it was a way for somebody to, to track their test. We do have a form available on our website people can use to download and, and document a positive rapid test result for their own personal uh, needs that they can choose to disclose to others, again, for their, for their own 
um, immediate health needs. So that is available on our website. And uh, again, there would be multiple challenges with using rapid test results as part of the data stream. So that isn't something we're looking at at this time, again, consistent with other provinces. With respect to long COVID, there is a survey underway that um, my understanding is that Alberta Health Services has been working on this to try to understand the prevalence of long COVID, the experience of people who, who have that. Um, and of course, that is something that we need to continue to work on documenting. So someone who may not have had a PCR test can still, of course, have an experience with long COVID. Um, and they will be able to access the care that they need for those symptoms, whether or not a PCR test was done at the very beginning of the, of the illness. So again, that, that, la that um, PCR test presence or absence will not stop someone from getting um, the treatment that they need for whatever symptoms they may be experiencing. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw and Minister. Uh, so we'll wrap there and see you here again next week. Thanks very much.